hello, hello. Um, this is the Imaginary Advice Podcast. My name is Ross Sutherland. I'm just jumping in here at the start of episode to quickly say uh, thank you to everyone who came out and saw me on tour this month uh, with my theatre show, Stand By for Take Backup. Uh, I had uh, an amazing experience touring the show. Uh, it was just great to meet so many people and and just to get a chance to to, to visit so many cities that weren't Peterborough. It was great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love Peterborough. I mean, I live here like I must do. Um, but I don't know, but the love I have for Peterborough, it's kind of, it's it's a kind of sad, mournful love. Um, a bit like the film Ghost with Patrick Swayze. So the tour is now over, uh, just with, with two exceptions. Uh, I'm going to be in Toronto at the Hot Docs Documentary Festival next week. Uh, there I'm going to be screening the film-only version of Stand By for Take Back Up. It's kind of, you know, the film adaptation of the theatre show. It's the it's the world premiere of the film, and it's screening on Friday the 24th and Saturday the 25th of April, and then again on Sunday the 3rd of May. Um, I'm going to be there for Q&A sessions for the first two screenings. So, uh, yeah, if you live in Toronto and you fancy it, please come down and see the film. Uh, I made it in collaboration with the British filmmaker Charlie Lyne, whose debut feature film essay, Beyond Clueless, came out at the start of this year. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's a bloody film. I can't believe it. So anyway, I'm going to put a, a a link to the Hot Docs website. And it's got all the details. I'll put that all on my Tumblr, which is imaginaryadvice.tumblr.com. So that's the first exception, uh, the film version playing in Toronto. Uh, the second exception, the other place where you can see standby, is going to be in the London theatre run of the show. Uh, which starts at Shoreditch Town Hall on the 28th of April. And uh, that runs through to the 2nd of May. Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've actually, we've now only got about 10% of tickets left for the entire run. So um, if you're interested, then I recommend getting a ticket now. Who knows who these people are who have bought tickets? I don't know. I'm not on national radio or on TV. People are just signing up to see the show seemingly at random. But, you know, obviously I'm very, very grateful for that. I know it's kind of cheesy, but thanks, patrons of the arts. You know, I have no idea who the fuck you people are or how you can divide up your free time so recklessly. But I owe you one. Okay, that's it. That's it. No more uh, self-congratulatory plugging. Uh... This week's episode is a new thing that I wrote for some musician friends of mine. Uh, the band Summer Camp. Uh, Summer Camp have got a brand new album. Uh, it's out now on Moshi Moshi Records. Uh, it's called Bad Love and it's amazing. And I uh, wholeheartedly recommend that you buy it. Uh, I'm going to play the title track at the end of the episode. Uh, along with the album... Uh, the band have produced a zine that's uh, full of kind of comics and stories, uh, which have all kind of inspired by the album. And uh, this, what I'm gonna kind of do for you today, this was uh, this was my response. Um, I always feel like there's something really cinematic about 
summer camp, like the way that they make music, and you know, in, in particular, this album, you know, it feels like the soundtrack to uh, an imaginary film or maybe uh, an imaginary city. So I've kind of tried to sort of set my story in that same city. Uh, I hope you like it. Um, this is imaginary advice. Thanks for listening. They found Mona at the north end of the beach. She was wearing Troy's ring and a chain round her neck. The spot was so close to the amusement park that you could still hear the flitzer. In fact, it was a kid riding the roller coaster that first saw the body. He clocked it from the peak. People always screamed when they rode the flitzer, but everyone there that night said that this had sounded different. Ever since, no one could ride that roller coaster without thinking of Mona. Of course, we still rode it. In fact, we rode it more than ever. But the reasons were different now. We made no noise when we rode it. Tried to stay solemn, as if we were in a funeral cortege. We all wore black too, but then again... There was nothing special about that. They found Tyler in his car at the bottom of Gunderson's Point. It was the night before the night before the Battle of the Bands. They found a fresh pack of cigarettes too, but everyone knew that Tyler never smoked on a week he had to sing. There was a blue corsage in the glove box, and he was still wearing sunglasses. They found Bobby a week later, lying on the school pitch at daybreak, flat on his back. Eight hours earlier, he'd been seen outside the pool hall in a white jersey with a navy blue trim. He'd asked a senior from Rosemont if she needed a lift home. She told us that he seemed friendly, happy even, but had a fresh scratch running along the bridge of his nose. The next morning, coach came to unlock the pitch, found Bobby all alone on the 30-yard line. We were in French class when the word broke. I remember because Josh was sitting next to me when the policeman appeared. Josh was Bobby's younger brother, not to be confused with Joey, who was Randy's older brother, or Jimmy, who was Joey's running partner, or Jackie from the Model UN, although they do all look alike, square heads. Me and Josh used to do this handshake that took two minutes to complete. We spent most of our first year designing it. After Josh's brother died, he just 
couldn't do it anymore. His moves got all jumbled up. My high fives kept slapping him across the face. He told me to keep my distance for a while. The school held a vigil for Bobby, but seeing as we'd missed the first two vigils, it would have been weird to go to Bobby's. It would suggest that we cared about Bobby more than the other two. So we stayed away. Josh left town shortly after. I seem to be the only one that remembers him now. They found Summer floating in her parents' pool. By then she'd been missing for 22 days. The film club made an appeal video that played round the clock on WLTV and WKHN. Everybody in town knew that video. We'd all seen it hundreds of times. The footage was taken from last year's debate semi-final when Summer had argued against curfews for minors. Elohim watched with the sound turned down. We could hear the whole argument, every point and counterpoint. When Summer finally reappeared in the swimming pool that night, it was as if a movie star had returned to our town. We knew that face better than we knew our own. They found Grant and Julie in the parking lot of Dales. It was midday and the sun was bouncing off the windscreens. They were lying side by side and holding hands, dead with no sign of a struggle, just like Holly and Claude the previous summer and Alice and Doyle the summer before and Ralph and Susanna the summer before that. It was at that point some of us started to wonder if any of this was connected. One girl from our group had a theory, but it was hard to listen to her. I tried, but then she would say something stupid and I'd start laughing or groaning or I'd launch into an impression of Ronald Reagan. People said that if I didn't want to listen, then fine, I was on my own. I was angry and I left. Little Anthony was playing on the radio. I could hear my friends behind me making a pact to never fall asleep again or to ever be alone or to ever look in a mirror or to step outside the circle or to trust anybody ever, including themselves. They found Bennett, Joan, Suki, George, Kim L, Kim C and Tony in the basement of the mall. I was alone in the street when they finally brought them out. It looked like a convoy of sweet trolleys, a white dotted line snaking across Parker Street and into the shade. I didn't know those kids. They were older than me. I never really understood the way they dressed or spoke. 
That afternoon, I wrote a song about love and never growing old. My tuxedo arrived from Harper's. It was grey and black. The fabric felt cold against my skin. At nine o'clock, I stole some money and left for the dance. I had no date, but neither did anyone. Outside, leaves were falling from the trees. The theme of the dance was the stars. You are better.